song called etc off of a record called the happenstance ep welcome folks last month marked the first time i've gotten messages from new listeners who weren't entirely sure what or who they were listening to so i guess this podcast has found its way to some new people and i guess it's time for me to start doing some kind of official introduction how do i do that without sounding corny as hell Hi, this is Seth Aran, and you're listening to me. Yuck. Well, I'll work on it. Now, though, it's time to talk about bass. Interesting feedback recently, folks. You guys like it when I get pissed off. Quite a few of you have felt compelled to let me know uh, after last month's Spotify rant. I mean... Ten episodes of relatively polite discourse, and then when I finally fly off the handle, woo, we love it! Well, you'll love this then. Check it out. What do we mean by progress? What do we mean if we want to apply that term to music? What do we mean by evolution? And, and what do we mean, again, when we apply that term to music? We build upon the work of those who came before us, and every so often like a giant comes along in a discipline who does something remarkable. They make everyone notice. They do something more efficiently, more beautifully. They shake things up. They present an example for others to follow. Eventually, someone else comes along 
and they start where the last giant left off and they build further. That's progress, ideally. So considering this, the discipline of proficiency on the bass guitar has a very short history. The bass guitar has only been around since the 1950s, so not quite 70 years. But compare that to the standard tune six-string guitar. That's been around in its present form since the 17th century. Or the keyboard, which first appeared around the 14th century. Or the drum, which has been around as long as humanity itself. And this is significant, because right after the bass guitar was invented, a few dudes came along and basically won the game. The outliers just dropped in like the instant the thing came to be. It's not that the instrument is easy to master, it's that these players gravitated to it and mastered it instantly. So let's say you drew a line uh, to show the history of the bass guitar. You put a dot where it begins over at the extreme left, and you're going to put another dot at each year when a great player came to prominence. Well, within an inch of your first dot, you'd have to draw so many more dots that it would just become this giant oval cluster extending all the way through the 70s. James Jamerson. John Entwistle. Paul McCartney. It's getting better. Larry Graham. John Paul Jones. The 70s come around and you got Bootsy Collins. Bob Babbitt. Getty Lee. Stanley Clark. Lewis Johnson. And Jocko Pastorius. Putting the icing on the cake 
And everyone in the bass playing community was in awe of how far we had moved the ball down the field. But using the bass in a lead or solo role was still relegated to the fringe. It wasn't normal. Now, there's never been a shortage of guitar heroes. Uh, In fact, there's a really long history of some bad songs becoming hits just because of the focus on guitar skill. But until around 1990, any hit a bass hero would have came despite the focus on the bass, not because of it. 1990 was kind of the tipping point. Um, Two albums came out that year that put two more remarkable players on the timeline. Victor Wooten. Nearly 30 years later, these guys are still going strong, releasing new music and performing to enthusiastic fans, and they carry the torch for bass skills as a musical focal point. Okay, so why is this a big deal? What's the issue? So a bunch of players learned how to play an instrument really well, so they made some music with that instrument, and uh, people heard it and enjoyed it. Isn't that the point? Why is this a thing people regard as odd? Or strange. Well, here we go. In the music world, there's sort of a civil rights movement for bassists because stereotypically, guitarists are like white male America. Hey, bassist, do you learn to do something all by yourself? Or did you write something? Well, that's so cute. Now get back in line and do the job we expect of you. Nobody's going to take you seriously if you try and bring that into the world without me. Not every guitar player is like this. This is absolutely a stereotype. But normal people, average listeners, they don't have anything against basses or bassists. Normal people only know when they hear something that moves them. And that's regardless of the instrument it's performed on. Music is music. But backstage, it's all politics and vested interests and insecurities and the establishment with a capital E. Even today in the 21st century, I can't look at social media without seeing professional musicians taking pot shots at bassists. Uh, Last week, out of the blue, a musician I really respected and who's been inspirational to me for years, named David Ryan Harris, used his Instagram account to tell bassists that, quote, if I can hear what you're playing through my iPhone speaker, you're probably doing it wrong. I can't think of a more condescending bullshit statement for a professional, influence-wielding musician to make. I wonder what any of the musicians I mentioned earlier would say to David if they stooped so low as to reply to that. Oh, heck, I'll stoop. I'm game. David, let me get this straight. So it's acceptable for people to respond favorably to the sound of a standard-tuned six-string guitar. That's doing it right, right? But if that string is tuned one octave lower, well, by God, that is verboten. That's doing it wrong. So thin strings are okay, but the defined attack of a fat string being played, that's wrong, right? Where's the limit on string gauge, David? How high do you need to tune a string before it's acceptable to play uh, alone or to be audible through an iPhone speaker? I mean, I've heard you play the low strings on your guitar, funky and articulate as hell. That's 
down in the register a guitar shares with a bass. So is it okay for me to play as audibly as you do on my higher strings? Or are you just an inconsistent, dogmatic hypocrite? Are you a narrow-minded musical fundamentalist? Are you just a whiny old man who wishes these kids would get off his lawn? I understand where it comes from. I get it. I know what makes people react this way. I had to learn about it for my own survival, being an artist who uses the bass the way I do. It has to do with the phenomenon of psychoacoustics, a term which I cannot believe has not been stolen and used by some raging acoustic guitar duo somewhere. So here's the deal, and I'll try to make it as non-technical as I can. The human ear is most effective at hearing the frequency range of the human voice. It's a survival mechanism. Our hearing is most accurate in the range of the voices that we ourselves produce. We define high and low pitch based on the middle. And for humans, the middle is where we speak. The further away from the middle a sound is, the harder it is for us to hear with accuracy. And that means that the lower a pitch is, the louder it needs to be for our brains to perceive it. So the low E on the lowest string of my bass is quite far down in the range of human hearing. So far, in fact, that in order for you to perceive it at the same volume, the fundamental note would need to be over 40 decibels louder than my voice. And that's why bass instruments have always been so big. Before electricity, the only way to make bass notes that loud was to make the instruments fucking huge. So tubas and kick drums and double basses are the size of furniture, but they're really only as loud as much smaller, higher-pitched instruments. When Chris Tilly and Edgar Mayer play one little mandolin and one giant double bass together in the same room into one stereo microphone, they're generally perceived at the same volume. appears to provide a quieter underpinning to the mandolin. And we're naturally wired to hear this way, so it makes sense that music has been written for centuries with this in mind. Low instruments were always considered support for the high instruments. And, and anyway, they're so big and hard to play, it, it makes sense they shouldn't try to play a lot of notes, it's just the natural order of things. I'll let somebody else do a podcast on the first guy to blow that notion out of the water, but until then, go look up Domenico Dragonetti. He was prominent around the turn of the 19th century and was known as the first double bass virtuoso. Natural order of things, my ass. Also, these things called overtones. When you hear me play a note, you're taking in a ton of sonic information. You're only perceiving one note, but you're actually hearing a whole series of them. So the note you think you hear is called the fundamental. That's the lowest note in the mess you're actually listening to. There are other notes you can't perceive, and they occur in a specific pattern, and the pattern is called the overtone series. This is as technical as I'll get. 
You ever hear a guitar player hold a note during a solo and then turn to face the amplifier while it's ringing? Well, the pitch of the note changes. The speaker and the guitar pickup start feeding sound into each other over and over again. And as the process goes on, the overtones become louder than the fundamental. When I play that low E, my ears have a hard time discerning the fundamental. But my brain takes in the overtone sequence, it recognizes the pattern, and then based on the information, it fills in the missing information down lower. Voila. My neurons fire, and I perceive the low sound. So what I'm saying is, to accurately perceive bass, we need to hear the fundamental pitch accompanied by the overtones. They are the whole reason you can hear a bass through an iPhone speaker. If you remove them, we just feel the bass as a thud or a rumble because it's so much quieter to our ears. So what happens once we get to a point where every musician in a band is amplified? Now, each musician can produce sounds across most of the sonic spectrum. And when the players don't understand anything I've just talked about, there can be an actual battle for which instrument can use which frequencies. So how good a band sounds depends on how well each member shares this limited number of frequencies that are available. Again, stereotypically, guitarists are the absolute worst at this. So many of them pride themselves on not understanding anything I'm talking about. And some, some, just want to turn their volume up to the point of ear damage. And most just want to be the center of attention. They don't want the bass sound to have a lot of overtones. Because that might give the bass actual sonic presence. Finally, and this shouldn't be discounted. There are plenty of people, guitar players non-guitar players, musicians, non-musicians, who just don't want to hear anything new. For every person who wouldn't know the difference between a bass, a keyboard, a guitar, or a doorbell, there's someone else who is profoundly afraid of anything that's not, quote, the way we've always done things. These are folks who, in the 50s, complained about this newfangled, awful rock and roll the kids were listening to. In the 60s, they were mortified by this awful music from the UK that was ruining the airwaves. In the 70s, these folks were decrying the influence of funk, you know, black music. Which is ironic, considering that all of pop music is pretty much black music. In the 80s, these damn synthesizers started replacing human beings and sending music straight to hell. And on and on. It's not the way I like it, so it's worthless. I mean, these are the people who say things like, Bassists should be felt and not heard. Or, if I can hear what you're doing, you're probably doing it wrong. These are the musical fundamentalists. These are the neophobes. They want bass to sound like nothing more than a thud or a rumble, because that's the way it's always been done. And music needs to go the way it's always gone, damn it. And if I don't like it, it's wrong. And if I don't recognize it, I don't like it. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. And I might actually have to pay attention to something. And I don't like it. <sighs> Most people listening to this are fans of what I do. And what I do is rooted in the progress made by all the bassists I mentioned earlier. The bass musicians figured out ways to use the instrument in ways that went beyond expectations, the expectations of their time. Most people listening to this are not afraid of the new. They're not neophobic. 
But like I mentioned at the beginning, there are new listeners checking out this podcast all the time. So if any of you identify as neophobes, fair warning, you might not like what I do. That's okay, by the way. Like what you like, for whatever reasons you like it. I'm not on a mission to force anyone to change. Go on and do your thing. Just let me do my thing. And don't you dare tell me I'm doing it wrong. Part two of the podcast is available on my Patreon page. I have a few more thoughts on how to shift a paradigm. I suppose it applies to more than just the role of the bass guitar. We'll have to see. First, though, here is a bit of the song that I'll be releasing to my patrons in less than a week. It's called Leave the Fold. Thanks for listening, folks. Hold in your moments alone. 